So if you want to find Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 20, and Pastor Percival will come and, and preach on this passage. Mark 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. They asked Jesus to leave. Did you catch that in the passage? They asked him to go away. In spite of what he had done and who he was proclaimed to be, they asked him to go away. Aaron Burr is probably more popular now than at any time except maybe when he was living uh, because of the musical Hamilton. People know about Aaron Burr. He was 45 years old when he became the third vice president of the United States. He served under Thomas Jefferson. On July the 11th, 1804, Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton in a duel and actually killed Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton died the next day. Uh, Aaron Burr is the only vice president to ever serve in the history of our United States who killed a man while he was in office. Uh, until just a few years ago, he was the only one who had ever shot a man, but a few years ago, Dick Cheney shot 
someone. So Aaron Burr is known for having killed Alexander Hamilton. And actually, the duel took place on the same spot that a few years before, Aaron Burr's uh, son, or Alexander Hamilton's son, had been killed defending his father's honor in a duel that day. What most people don't know about Aaron Burr is that his father was a Presbyterian minister who founded the College of New Jersey, which was later renamed for what is still called today Princeton University. His grandfather is regarded by many as perhaps America's greatest theologian and one of America's greatest preachers. His grandfather was Jonathan Edwards. Aaron Burr attended Princeton University, and while he was there, a revival swept through the student body. And Aaron Burr found himself under much conviction. He felt the need of God's mercy in his life and forgiveness, and he had a great struggle going on within his soul. So one night, Aaron Burr decided that he was going to resolve this struggle once and for all. So he went to his room, was all alone by himself, and he began talking to God. They asked Jesus to leave. They didn't want him there anymore. If we look at the context of the passage, we'll see in Mark chapter 4 that what occurred right before our story was that Jesus and his disciples were in a boat on the sea. A storm had come up. Jesus was asleep. They wake him up, and what does Jesus do in typical pattern? He speaks to the wind and to the waves. He calms them, and the disciples ask the question, who is this man? that even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, they're about to hear an answer to their question, but it's going to come from a very unlikely source. When they arrive at land, a man approaches them who is howling like a wild animal. He cuts himself. He is, passage tells us, he was naked. And his body is covered with cuts and bruises and scabs from all the times he had cut himself and he had hurt himself. This man is living in a constant state of pain and torment. The people in the town had been unable to control him. In the past, they had put him in chains and shackles, but he was so strong, he was able to break those chains and break those shackles. Nobody could control him, and now he is coming to Jesus, and we're going to find out the reason for this man's behavior is because he is filled with demons, not just one demon. 
But when Jesus interacts with the man, and when the demon speaks through the man, he says, my name is Legion because we are many. Now, the term Legion was a term that was used of a contingency of Roman soldiers. Typically, that contingency would be 6,000 in number. Now, this is not to imply that this man had 6,000 demons within him. But my guess is, based on what happens later in the passage, that he has at least 2,000 demons within him. We don't know the exact number, but the name legion means there are many of us. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, we come across people who are demon-possessed. Today, we have people who would probably say, well, that was just something, you know, in those ages they didn't have understanding. You know, the guy was probably just mentally ill. And there is mental illness, but there is also demon possession. And one of the things, or many of the things that he exhibits is true of people who are demon-possessed. Possess. We need to find, find out, first of all, when we're talking about demon possessions, it is a fact that demons can inhabit and take possession of a person. Secondly, demons can make themselves known by speaking through that person. And they can take control of that person's body. Third, we need to recognize who we're dealing with here. These are powerful, fallen beings. I believe they're the fallen angels from heaven. And because of that, they can exert great strength through a person that's underneath their control. Fourth, demons can inflict serious personal injury to the person uh, that they have possessed. Their ultimate goal is the person's death. Why do they want to destroy the person? Because man has been made in the image of God. And because man is in God's image, in the great struggle that goes on between God and Satan, Satan hates everything about God. And that's why Satan hates us as human beings, because God has stamped his image upon us. We also see from this passage that demons can go from one host to another. They can move out of one person and then enter into another. And in this case, we see that they can possess an animal. Now, I'll resist comments about your pets and their wild behavior. You can come to the conclusion of what causes that. But we also will see, see, I promise to resist there. All right. We also see that demons can resist leaving the one who is their host. But we also see that demons recognize and are subject to appropriate spiritual authority. So this man is filled, I believe, with thousands of demons. 
Now, the first thing that I really want us to notice as far as the message is concerned is the declaration. The declaration, we see that in verse 7. When the man comes to Jesus, he cries out with a loud voice and he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? The declaration that he makes. It's the demon speaking through him. Jesus has commanded the demons to come out of him, and they respond, what, what do you have to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, in saying that, they're not making a declaration of faith in Jesus. They're making a declaration of facts. And many believe they are attempting to get an upper hand on Jesus. There was a superstition in those days that would say that if you knew a person's real name and his complete name, that you could have power over that individual. So the demons, in addressing Jesus, in making their declaration, are seeking maybe in some way, some superstitious way, that they might get some power over Jesus. So notice what they call him. And they are correct in what they call him. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Who is Jesus? The demons know. We're told in the book of James in chapter 2, in verse 19, that the demons believe, and they also shudder or tremble at knowing who Jesus is. Remember the disciples had, in the previous event that occurred, had asked the question, who is this man? That the wind and waves obey him. Well, here they're getting their answer. He's Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior. You'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He's Jesus. He's the Son of the Most High God. And all throughout the Gospels, you will see the conflict that comes between Jesus and the religious leaders whenever Jesus claims to be the Son of God. Because they recognized that that claim to be God's Son in the way that Jesus was declaring it meant he was putting himself on a par of equality with God. He was claiming to be God. The demons know he's God. The demons acknowledge him as God. You are the son of the most high God. There is truly, really, only one most high God. God the Father. And Jesus, being the son, is on a par of equality with his father. That's who the demons Proclaim him to be. So next in the passage, I want us to see the destruction. The destruction that takes place. 
And the destruction is the pigs drown. So as they're talking together, let's review the conversation. Verse 7, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So the demons recognize they're underneath the authority of Jesus. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. They don't want to leave the area that they're in. They want to stay there. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. See, the demons are aware that Jesus can assign them to go anywhere. And I think part of their fear was that Jesus was going to command them at this time to go into the great abyss and to be held there until the day of judgment. They do not want to go there. They don't want to leave the region they are in. So they ask permission to go into the pigs, which shows us, as we see in the passage, that demons can enter into an animal as well. And so, verse 13, he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. A herd of 2,000 pigs. Uh, I called uh, our meat specialist this week, Dave Duma, from Duma Meats, to find out what's a pig going for these days? What do they sell for? Uh, Right now, this week, they were selling for $200 a piece. So let's put this in monetary value for us in today's uh, marketplace. This herd of pigs represented over $400,000 to their owners. All of it gone in a moment. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, oh, those poor pigs. (laughs) And actually, there are those who've been critical of Jesus. How dare he destroy an animal? You know, I find it amazing that in our culture, how we can have things so upside down. You know, uh, for instance, if you are to destroy sea turtle eggs, the fine for doing so, if you destroy them or destroy a nest of them, is $15,000 and time in jail. For the destruction of an eagle, a bald eagle's egg, you can be fined $5,000, $10,000, or if they determine it to be a felony, up to $250,000 plus two years in jail. And yet we have people in our culture 
crying for the right to destroy their unborn that are still within the womb. What's wrong with this picture? Man is in the image of God. And I'm not here advocating for mistreatment of animals. No, no, they're a part of God's creation. But we need to realize that God values man much more than he values animals. And we'll see how this plays out in our story. So the pigs are gone, the people from the town, they come out, and they're finding out what has occurred. And they're going to have a request for Jesus. Actually, in our passage, we'll see that there are three requests that are made in the passage. The first request was the request by the demons. What did they ask for? Let us enter the pigs. And Jesus grants their request. Secondly, we're going to see from the townspeople. When they come seeing the one that they know as Legion sitting there in his right mind, he's clothed, and they hear what has happened, their response is in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Leave, Jesus, they ask. Leave. We don't want you here. They valued their material possessions more than they valued the life of a tormented man. Because of their financial loss, they would rather Jesus leave than stay. They hear the story of what's happened, and they see this man who, in their opinion, has been crazy all these years. So much so, they've cast him outside the town. He's living in the tombs, the place where people are buried. He's living out in caves. They've tried to control him in the past by binding him. And that no longer works. He's too strong for them. So seeing the change that is made, they would rather Jesus leave than stay. Because what else may Jesus do in their region? Jesus, leave. And what do we see in the passage? What does Jesus do? He leaves, just as they have requested. Verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said to him, I'm sorry, verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, so Jesus, you want me to leave, then I will leave. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. Now we see the man that we know is legion. He sees that Jesus is leaving. He doesn't want Jesus to leave. Some have suggested that maybe he fears the demons might come back. 
Remember, he's a brand new convert, believer in Jesus. Maybe it's because a man who has been tormented all his life and knows that he is sinful and now has experienced forgiveness is totally wants to stay with Jesus, to serve Jesus, to honor Jesus. And so he asks, let me go with you. And we read, verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Let me go with you. No, I don't want you to come with me. Now, in, in some ways, we look at the fact there are three requests made, and it amazes us a little bit. Jesus grants the request of the demons. Let us go in to the vase. He grants the request of the townspeople. Go away. Leave us. We don't want you here. Then the one who wants and desires to follow him and to serve him, he tells him no. Now, if we just look at it on the surface there, that would puzzle us as followers of Christ, right? Because what would we expect? We would expect, well, if you're going to have to answer the demons, yes. Uh, you're going to answer the townspeople who don't believe in you, yes. Why are you telling the one who's committed to follow you? No. But we must recognize that God, who knows all things, knows what's best for his kingdom knows what's best for his children when he hears our prayers. Has God ever told you no to a prayer? Huh? He has me. And many times I can look back to that no answer and I thank God that he answered. I mean, there's a country song out there that says, thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, we seem to think that when God tells us no, that our prayer hasn't been answered. But you know, no is an answer. We may not like it or appreciate it, but no is an answer. And there are times in my life where God has told me no. I'm going to confess for you, I'm not really happy at that point in time, but I can always look back later and say God knew what was best. And God has another plan for this man's life. I want you to go, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And in verse 20, we're told, he went and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That's a series of ten different cities, ten different Greek cities there. Gentile cities he's going to and proclaiming 
what Jesus has done for him. And that's something all of us can do. And an assignment we all have is to share with others what Jesus has done for us. You realize that's the one thing people can't argue with. When we're sharing Christ, certainly we share the Scriptures with Him because it is God's Word that He's promised that will never return to Him void, but will always accomplish His purpose. But when we share our testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives, nobody can argue with that because it's your story. And that's what the man does. He goes and he points others to Jesus. Aaron Burr is in his room all by himself. He's resolved to settle this matter of his relationship with God once and for all. Finally, he looked up to heaven and prayed to God. God, if you don't bother me anymore, I'll never bother you. Later in his life, Aaron Bird said, God has kept his part of the bargain. He never bothered me again. They asked Jesus to leave. What are you asking of Jesus? To stay and to save you? Or are you asking him to leave? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help each of us now that we might examine our relationship with you. And Father, for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may they put their faith and trust in him. For this we pray in his name. Amen.